think of the, like sometimes the, the darkness of the teachings, uh, all their rises ceases and all the dhammas are not self, and this kind of this is a this is a very stark and austere teaching, and then the mind tends to think of it in, you know, what where is love in all this? And then if you if you go by the <coughs> just on from the intellectual extrapolation from that, then you you get this uh, idea that love is just something that arises and ceases. So you almost dismiss it as uh, you know, love is just another sankara comes and goes, and the mind that's the, the the kind of from the theory from the thesis you get that uh, uh, conclusion. But as a practice, what what is it? Is the practice of living, being a human being, uh, as much as we try to fit life into uh, the perceptions, intellectual perceptions and ideas? Uh, really, our life is mainly on the level of feeling, isn't it? It's where we feel, you know, emotions, and uh, we we can. Uh, Dismiss these emotions, and another to say they rise, they cease, they're not self, and just kind of think that we kind of just uh, put them out of the way because they 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 don't seem we don't want to uh, be accused of indulging or suppressing emotions. But emotions point to the sensitivity and love and all these these uh, beauty, truth, goodness. Uh, joy, compassion, um, this uh, this universe we live in is that way. It's not just a, an ideal universe. It's not an idea. Or it's not a, a cold-hearted uh, theory. But it is, it's this way. It's, uh, when, when the self-view drops away and the obsession with selfishness is gone, what's left? And, and if you really investigate that, when, you, when there's no self, this is from, from my experience, when, when I'm not obsessed with myself, my feelings and views and opinions, there's still this magnificent sense, uh, sensitivity operating. And, uh, and one is is and there's a feeling of uh, of oneness or wholeness or uh, a sense of, of that that say is ineffable of of perfection and of unity and love in the in, in the human experience is because of the uh, the birth problem of being born in a separate form we always feel this uh, fear um, be from the appearance of separation, isn't it? Just being <coughs> a separate individual being. Uh, if you just make all your assumptions from being a, a human body, a personality, then you're, you're going to be frightened by everything. Because uh, th- that's, the, that's the result of birth, being uh, this appearance, this seeming feeling of, of this appearance of separation. Because that's how it looks. That's how we tend to interpret it. I'm here, you're there. I'm 
I'm this person, you're that person. Well, then love is uh, is uh, one one reason why economy. Why do you if you listen to pop music or music? I mean, it's mostly about love. Tell Laura. <laughs> <laughs> This morning, Rajan Menindu came and played a tape of Tell Laura I Love. (laughs) 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 Uh, That song haunts my life. (laughs) (laughs) When we, when we why, why do why even the most kind of coarse and uh, seemingly insensitive uh, yobs still still get kind of gooey about love? You know, there is a, a, a longing for some kind of uh, of union or belonging or or I mean, love is 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 a unitive force, isn't it? It brings together. Metta and these these loving kindness is uh, when you're <coughs> contemplating when you're spreading metta you're you're increasing a sense of unity and love rather than of separation when you're looking at the faults either your own or somebody else's then you're increasing the sense of separation that's a discriminative mind uh, when we pick away at, at uh, the, you know this you're this way and I'm that way. Or when there's when we uh, reflect on love, then we have a that that sense of me and you and uh, the faults, the differences diminish, and there's much more of a sense of union, unity, oneness, which is what we really long for. Because this is a this is what why. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering because it's such an, uh, we're caught in this illusion of being a, a, a person, a separate person, a separate being. And it's lonely to be separate, isn't it? One feels very easy, easy to be alienated and lonely as a separate, in this, in this appearance of separation. So then we uh, Love me, and or <laughs> <coughs> I lost my love, and <laughs> and my heart is broken because you don't love me anymore, and my baby don't love me no more, and the whole endless, endless procession of love song, either <laughs> celebrating the, the experience or despairing over the loss of it. So that this this is why is this just silly human sentiment? Is it, it you know a lot of it sounds are silly and the uh, pop songs are oftentimes very silly songs themselves and uh, ridiculous. But they're also uh, a sign, aren't they, of of what is really important to us, but which we're most afraid of too, aren't we? We're afraid. Of love, because it uh, it is a loss of uh, it, we have to give up ourselves. Like if you uh, contemplating the 
the few experiences I've had with love, uh, one realizes, and I think back, I think the the beauty of it uh, lay in its in the fact that it was uh, for a moment I was I included somebody else in my heart first more than myself. The object, the person, was more important to me than myself. There was a, a, a feeling of pure, there was a sense of purity and goodness, wholesomeness. I lost myself uh, in the union with someone else. The sense of separation was gone. But then the ignorant mind comes back and says, I want this all the time. If I, if I can get this person, hang on to them, uh, then I can have this experience all the time. So we start grabbing somebody and saying, you're my sweetie pie forevermore. And then it starts getting miserable from that moment. <clears throat> Why does it get miserable? Because the, then the self selfish attitudes are operating. I want you, you belong to me, uh, and you've got to make me happy. Like you did that one time when we felt that wonderful thrill of, of eternal love and union. And that was the one most wonderful moment of my life. And I want you to make that possible for me all the time. And then, and then, uh, when you can't do it, then I think, oh, what a disappointment. <laughs> I'm to find somebody else. <laughs> and you go, go around. Uh, trying to find, uh, trying to, to just uh, get as much of that experience as possible. But it, then you become jaded and become cynical and embittered by life. So even romantic love, I like to think, even even uh, what is might be considered just... Uh, because it wasn't just a sexual desire, because one can feel sexual <coughs> desires... Or any kind of thing, almost. <laughs> having nothing to do with love. <laughs> but but the, uh, the the love could include that, but it wasn't because of that. It wasn't just just uh, just a sexual longing, or just uh, kind of love sexual fantasy at all. It was it had a I like to think of it at that at one moment of my life in that it was the the joy <coughs> and release of the prison of being somebody. Completely selfless moment. So that's what why I like to think they celebrate love so much and and and, and go on endlessly about it and and wail and moan about the loss of it. And some of those songs are just endless wails, wailing sounds. <laughs> Modern rock music is sounds like like wailing. <clears throat> also in the in the religious <laughs> tradition, the the uh, like the. Uh, Love is, or the union of the male and female is a religious symbol. Where for us, it isn't, isn't it? It's a profane 
thing, it's dirty. In the Western world, we tend to either make it just a kind of biological function for procreating the species, or something to to just get pleasure from. It's what we can get uh, for kind of physical, sensual pleasures. Uh, our minds are programmed uh, to be dirty, in other words. And that's why I feel oftentimes we, uh, Tantra and these kind of Eastern disciplines don't work very well for us because basically we see, I see the programming of my mind from my background very much seen, even though, you know, I've kind of gone against that programming, but the, the basic introduction was a sense of it being low and dirty, sexual sexuality. Or just for pleasure, just for my personal pleasure, just to get pleasure for myself. It's not that I wanted to be that way, but that's very much the way it was introduced and the way it was regarded and the way it was presented to me when those formative years uh, of my innocent years as a child <clears throat> where when you go into a Kali temple in Calcutta and you see Indian women bowing down to to Shiva's phallus and putting garlands around it uh, as a, a male uh, organ and worshipping it, we we interpret that from the dirtiness of it. We, we think that we think that is uh, we, our minds immediately interpret it from a from our very coarse and uh, uh, attitude about sex. And yet, to those women or men who are worshipping the the, ling, the Shiva Lingam and the Yoni, the Yoni is the female. Uh, organ and the lingam is the male it's not dirty it's not low it's a valid religious symbolism of union of the yin-yang male-female the complementariness the union of opposites a celebration of the union of opposites completion, totality, wholeness, oneness it can be seen in that way but how do you interpret it? When you see a Shiva Lingam, when you go, <laughs> imagine worshipping a penis. <laughs> and so I'm, because I'm, we, we've got those kind of minds that see it only in, in, a, in a very gross way. I'm just pointing this out that, that the, uh, that, that all of life really is it has its uh, sanctity, and uh, that it's it's not. Uh, and, but we have to remember how the mind was, the culture we come from, like um, middle class America of the 30s, 40s, when I my my character was being formed, was very uh, prudish. Even to say the word sex was, you couldn't even say sex, you were being kind of outrageous. He said sex, and everybody went. <laughs> and mother said, 
Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now I think anything goes in middle class America. All four-letter words are what you use ordinarily at the dinner table. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) But uh, in those days, it was the 30s, 40s uh, in the state. They were very prudish about those about uh, uh, sex. And you can see it in the in the in the Hollywood films. And they're very innocent, really. When you, we used to when when I became a university student and became you know wanted to prove that I was not like you know was much more sophisticated and worldly wise than my parents. They had these these kind of art theaters in Berkeley. We'd go and watch old Hollywood films made back in the 30s. And we just laugh our heads off <laughs> because they were so so naive, and we were much more. We knew much more than that. You know, any of these these great kind of musicals of the 30s and these romance stories, uh, the 30s and 40s, and presented in you know old old Hollywood uh, films. And uh, we would just go to to laugh and make fun of them because we knew we we now knew what it was all about. This uh, this to to. But the the more you you open the heart, then then one begins to get in touch or reestablish one's one's. Uh, Relationship with ultimate truth, or with uh, with with reality, in which then uh, the profane symbols uh, become uh, regain uh, say their their sanctity again. Because America, I think, represents very much a a a, a country based on. Just human ideas, ideals, idealism, the idea of humanism, and religion has not been very important part of the uh, of the country's uh, uh, attitude. Even though there's certainly there's certainly a lot of religion in America, basically it presents itself very much from the position of a of a um, Democracy, uh, standing up for individual rights, protecting individual rights, and humanism to try to make our lives as human beings as pleasant, as comfortable as we can get them. So, so that we can, it's it's nothing to, it doesn't (coughs) offer uh, uh, any transcendent object or goal. So everything that that so America is a profane country. It's very, its its whole attitude is one of being mundane, profane, uh, square, uh, caught in in just earthbound kind of uh, uh, attitudes. Uh, individualism becomes can become extreme selfishness then, 
isn't it? I mean, America is generous and as as great as it can sometimes be, it can also be very selfish. You know, me, me first, my rights, what I want for me, and and I don't care about the rest. When when somebody says, uh, "What can you do?" Kennedy could get away with it. What you can do for your country, but but most uh, American presidents don't dare say things like that. What can you do for your country? This country, it owes me this, it, I have this, I want that, and I want this, and I want that. So, individualism, emphasis on, on me as an individual, can take one to a very selfish attitude. When you see uh, the natural energies that we experience through our human bodies, only from a personal attitude, a human uh, with humanity as being the only, the highest goal is just being a human being. When there's nothing more than that, then it easily becomes profane, dirty, uh, debased, degenerate. Isn't it? Sexuality just now is is uh, is very degenerate. People just use it, endlessly experiment. Uh, and and drive themselves into uh, just a very debased kind of behavior because their sexuality is not related to anything higher than than just pleasure, personal pleasure. But uh, it's that's why it's very important for you to contemplate the results of of this. Uh, you know, not can not trying to. Uh, make pronouncements against it, but it, it's something very much we can learn from. We can see that, that just going along that path takes us to to despair, to self-hatred, like sexual promiscuity, just using sex for personal pleasure and gratification. Uh, it's, it's absence, there's no love involved in it, it's just for my pleasure, or something for me. Then it is very debased kind of activity, and and it merely is a it, it becomes addictive and and uh, one only feels self hatred, self contempt. Say celibacy in monasticism is not is not a pronouncement against uh, sexuality, but learning how to to develop the energies towards, uh, say, putting forth the energy, uh, lifting up the heart from the uh, lower chakras to the to the higher ones. And when we when you get samadhi, we have to bring the energy from the lower from the lower places of the body, lower parts of the body, which are the most energized parts of our bodies and try to rif- bring that energy into the heart the union with the intellectual and instinctual energies and the heart is uh, is where we begin to be totally receptive and experience love realize love so it's not a shutdown monasticism and celibacy isn't a uh, you know it's not a puritanical a suppression of sexuality, but a development of it. 
It's developing it to where the the union comes through the heart rather than through the sex organs. I mean, the sexual union is only brief. It's only one can only stay united very briefly, <laughs> and then then it uh, doesn't last very long. But the and but the, even that, when there's no self involvement, is at least a glimpse of of perfection of union. Isn't it a flash or a moment of of oneness or wholeness, completion? Now, when in, when you bring that into the heart, then then you feel you feel that sense of wholeness, the bliss and the joy of our heart when there's when we're not divided into all these different personalities and conditions, when there's no conflict anymore between our intellect, our conditioned mind, our instinctual energies. Our emotions aren't just, you know, threatening, frightening, ups and downs, uh, causing us endless distress. Because if, if there's a lack, if there's not union, if there's no union, then there's this endless conflict, this kind of polarization, isn't it? Where if you're up in your head, then you tend to suppress, you, you tend to uh, suppress emotion. Instinctual energies are are looked on merely for very selfish uh, indulgences. If it's, if you're up here, or if you're if you're just interested in in physical things, just bodily pleasures, sensual sensual uh, uh, pleasures with the body, then you don't develop a discriminative mind. And your emotions have no, you, you just get caught in emotional, uh, in, in, in the reactions of your emotions to the sense, sensual pleasure, sense, uh, pleasure seeking life. Because you have no, you've not developed discrimination. We need, we need the discriminative function and the, and the, and we need the, to, the energy from the instinctual uh, drive, instinctual energies, but their union, their marriage takes place in the heart. And that's, a, that's an image to consider when you, when, when that perfect marriage happens, then, then there is this sense of wholeness, and freedom, liberation, enlightenment. We say, the Buddha absolutely pure with ocean-like compassion. Purity and compassion go together. It's not purity and without compassion. Purity without compassion is what? It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't leave much of an impression, does it? This purity as, a, as an end in itself uh, is, uh, is a pretty uninspiring goal, at least to me. Ocean-like compassion, purity has this kind of absoluteness, you know, it's, it's fixed, it doesn't have a flowing quality, it's not, not infinite, 
where it's more absolute, has this fixity to it, as a concept, doesn't it? Purity. And then, then compassion is infinite compassion. Compassion is always uh, used with the word infinite because it's dynamic, it's, it's flowing, it's, it's active. The way we relate, the way we relate, how we relate, how we live. If we're just pure, then we tend to this idea of just staying in one place and protecting it. Don't interrupt my practice, you'll destroy my purity. I can't go into London today because I might get upset. I might, I might find something tempting my mind. Walking through the streets, I might get angry. I might get in, uh, angry at the traffic jams on the M25. So don't, I'm not going into London. I'm going to stay here and be pure all day. And then the, <laughs> and then the uh, infinite compassion allows us to move, to flow with life, to to relate in in proper ways, in beautiful ways with uh, other beings. So in, in even reflecting, consider that there's this static dynamic quality and there these are or, or the these are complementary, like the male and female are complementary, not polarized. From the discriminative mind, they tend to get polarized. Don't they? When you when you think about male and female, or static and dynamic, or that purity and compassion, you tend to one tends to prefer one over the other, and then you you're polarized. You're you're opposed, almost directly opposed to the to the to the, to its opposite. So you say have this sense of very of separation and threat being threatened by the opposite. Because the discriminative mind is like that. That's the way the discriminative mind works. You only have one thought at a time. You can't think purity and compassion at the same moment. You have to think one first. You have to put purity first or Compassion first. You have to choose. You can make one word like for compassion. Compa- compassion compurity. <laughs> then it's getting ridiculous, isn't it? We don't need to, to have have them equal at the same moment because the discriminative mind is is the order of one, two, three, hierarchy and A B C and onward like that. It's just uh, how, how the discriminative function works. Nothing. But when you're identified with it, when that's your identity, then you then you're always in this. You're fixed in a position. You take a stand on something, and then then see its opposite as a threat or as the enemy. But in uh, say the Buddha mind, the idea of Buddhahood. And the Buddha mind is is a reflective to see the the flow, the complementariness, the wholeness of this, the, the way things work together. That the pure purity doesn't cancel out compassion, or compassion cancel out purity, or yin yang, male female. These aren't uh, positions to take and identities to cling to, but merely conditions that we use that will take us 
to their opposite if we if we uh, if we use them in the right way if we have the right understanding. Like one thing, like being having been born as a man, obviously one the male male karma one needs to learn about the fem- feminine because this is that's the it's what you don't have yet what you don't what what you see as opposite to you so you find in in the meditation for a month you have to develop one feels just the masculine approach of you know purity and rules and regulations and willpower and aggressiveness gets you in a terrible state. You become really nasty. So you become you know, one of these awful kind of men. You see women, you see anything soft, anything, anything round or gentle as a, <laughs> as a as a threat or something you reject. So like like with with all of us we've had to learn how we have to bring our attention into the heart to find a balance, not to not to emulate or copy women, become kind of transvestites or <laughs> not, not asking that. Do that, but when one can uh, develop the qualities uh, and listen and and uh, with with oneself and with others. And I assume the, the same for the women, for the nuns, that have to develop not just indulge in in femininity and feminine qualities, but or identify, but to learn how to develop a sharpness. More, more firmness, aggressiveness, and sharpness of mind, rather than than just say that we say just fulfilling just the the feminine karma alone. Because you can see with with uh, nuns, the problems are with this with the emotions. The emotions just give them so much, keep them so caught. Into uh, into the feeling realm that they don't develop uh, the the sharpness, the discriminative mind, the ability to discriminate all that much. And it's so easy to be pulled into this into the emotional realm. Well, for the monks, most of us feel totally embarrassed by emotions and could care less about them, really. We're more dedicated to ideals. I don't think, for me, my emotions aren't terribly important. How I feel isn't isn't terribly important to me. This, these are these are. This is just reflection, reflecting for you. It, to to see how how to where we you know through contemplating our predicament our karmic predicament we are the heir of our karma born of our karma related to our karma by supported by our karma 
whatever karma we shall do for good or for ill of that, we will be the heir. We chant that. And so we learn from this. When we, when we accept our karma the way we are, then we, we can learn from that through reflection on how to, say, balance the tendency, the extreme tendencies we have. That's why the nuns need to develop that discriminative sense of certainty and uh, not just hang on to the monks. The worst thing for your spiritual growth is just to hang on to the bhikkhus and just want, want to be with the bhikkhus and copy the bhikkhus and let the bhikkhus tell you what you should do. There's no way to not develop a spiritual realization from that. You'll just become a dependent woman and be reborn again probably and having to do the same thing over again. That's why in the past year I've tried to encourage more separation and, and uh, nuns taking on responsibility for their practice in their community much more. Because it, it has to be that way. It can't. I don't want anything to do with it if it's just making nuns dependent on bhikkhus. It's a waste of time. There's a, a traditional dependency, and a, we, we're not thinking in terms of independence, and we don't need the bhikkhus, or bhikkhus don't need the nuns, and we want. Uh, Total apartheid, that kind of, that's not, that's not it. But, because there is a, the, the traditional relationship of the bhikkhuni sangha to the bhikkhu sangha and the, and the, this, this kind of proper dependency is, is to be respected. Proper dependency. It's not sick, emotional, immature, uh, needs that are being fed by that. It's just, it's an established convention, uh, and it's based on on uh, universal principles. So it's it's uh, it's to be respected, but not to be. Um, I mean, the, the dependency uh, is is through the form, through the convention, not through the through the heart. We're not seeking emotional dependence on anyone any other person.